All right, here we go for another episode of The Techie and the Cowboy. We're in season two. We got a hot topic today because I think a lot of people have to deal with it, and it's called dealing with toxic people. Of which there are many in our lives, hopefully fewer as we get older. I love what Jim Rohn said. There's really only one or two toxic people in the world. They just move around a lot. So, <laughs> right? He's like, there's only a few nasty people in the world. They just happen to get around a lot. So we're talking about toxic people because there's a lot of confusion, I think, when it comes to faith and the Bible and what the Bible says about, you know, turning the other cheek. We've had an episode in season one where we talked about turning the other cheek and how that doesn't mean that you have to allow people to take advantage of you. But this becomes really tough because you have two different categories of toxic people that we're going to talk about today. You have the toxic people who it is that you have to have in your life, like family members or coworkers. And then you have the toxic people that sometimes we choose to have in our life, like friends and uh, people that are in different groups that we're a part of and social groups that we're a part of. So we're going to talk about both of those right after we drop this intro music. And now a few minutes with two of my friends who will soon be yours, the techie and the cowboy. back tw you got any toxic people that you've ever dealt with in your life at all oh yes uh some that stuck around for a long time because i didn't know any better and then some that after a point of just say you know i really don't have time for this and i would drop uh drop them one of the groups that uh, as you mentioned at the top of the broadcast that there's a subset that we didn't quite touch on and that's x people that you were in a relationship with, whether it be ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, whatever, that come back around (laughs) kind of thing. And I think, I think that is potentially the most tough to deal with because, because emotions involved, you can have a toxic coworker and you're just kind of like, okay, this is a hassle and it's a little heartburn. It's not the same emotional investment you had before. Yeah, and it's old emotions that are coming back up that are not the same, but you tend to want to make them the same or then to think that relationship is going to be the same as it was, which will draw you right back into that toxicity. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the first set of people, which is family members, which will be people who it is that you can't necessarily eliminate from your your life because they are family, even though there are some people that cut their family off and that's it. You know, one incident happens and they don't talk to their dad, sister, brother, mom, for a long time, but most of the time people just tend to deal with it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the relationships with these people are the healthiest relationships to have. And what I found is that you have to figure out a way to be able to limit your, how it is that you communicate with them, or you sit down, you have a conversation about with them about what in their life is taught or what in their relationship is toxic and how it is that you will no longer accept them treating you a certain way. Yes. The some of the articles that I read after I had thought about this, you and I had talked about this topic some time back, and I did a little research on it and thought about my own life. One of the things that stuck out in my reading was that toxic people in general have difficulty having boundaries set on them. Correct. They don't mind setting boundaries on you to keep you boxed in and you know kind of beat you up in the mean part. But you say, no, you can't cross this line. It's kind of they kind of like, what line? I just you know like, what are you talking about? And just keep on going. So the toughest thing that you have to do is to say, here's what I can live with. Here's what I cannot live with. What I cannot live with is this line. 
Now, if you cross it, which I know you will, it's going to come at a cost and you have to be willing to exert that cost. Otherwise, you might as well not have the line. Yeah, you said the key thing, because there's a lot of people that set these boundaries or say that I'm not going to do it. And then they allow the boundaries to constantly uh, become crossed. You know, us as Stephen ministers, we we have things where we set as boundaries with the different relationships we have with our care receivers. And those are put in place for the protection of both parties. It seems like it's just one party or the other, but it's really for, for both parties. And I think it's the same in the case that you're talking about, too. Yes, indeed. I had a, a case where there was a, a guy who was in my writing club. And he and I were, you know, we were good acquaintances. I'd go over to his house after the meetings because his house was between where the meeting was held and where my house was. Stop, have a little refreshment, chit chat, gossip, you know, that kind of thing. And then as over the course of uh, several dozen meetings went by, his behavior started getting a little weirder and a little weirder and a little weird. I mean, he was starting to say, Hey, you wanna you wanna try doing some of this this kind of stuff? I won't go into what it was, but I was kind of like, dude, no, I'm just not quite there yet. I said, you know, I'm a Christian, right? He goes, yeah, 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 but just once, man. But just you know, like finally, when it came to it, I just had had to say, you know what, can't do this anymore. You hit an important point because a lot of times toxic people are trying to enroll you into whatever it is that they're doing in order to make them feel better about what it is that they're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. He was he was looking, I believe, in retrospect to say, you know, I'm doing this behavior. People would say it's weird, but you're doing it too, so it must be okay, which I'm going <laughs> – I'm not going there with you, man. <laughs> We've talked about this before. You know, I don't drink and I haven't, I've never drank alcohol at all, but I, I love being in social environments with people, like-minded people, but I've had people say, you have to have a beer because you're making me feel guilty with you out not drinking. <laughs> I feel guilty or I feel like it is that you're judging me because it is that you're not drinking and I'm not. Nothing to do with me. And I'm not even paying any attention to them, but they're projecting what it is that they're feeling on me because it is I'm not doing what they're doing. As, as opposed to someone like me, if you came into our situation, and I had a guy that was in graduate school with me that did the same thing. And actually, this was like back in 1973, 1974. And he would only drink um, bubbly water, I forgot what it's called, Perrier. Perrier. He drank Perrier and that kind of stuff. And we said and put ice in it and, and it looked like he was having a drink. So he was disguising the fact that he was not drinking as opposed to saying, I don't drink. Oh, I, I did that too. I got tired of answering the question over and over again. I would get an IBC root beer bottle, which looks enough like a beer bottle, especially for somebody who's intoxicated, where they would stop offering me a beer over and over again. <laughs> so I'd be drinking root beer and I'd have a bottle. They they would tease me for nursing it all night long, but at least it stopped the whole, me having to explain the whole conversation about I don't drink, why I don't drink, how you're not going to convince me to drink. Because the next question for people, especially in social environments in college is, oh, I'm going to be the first one to get you to have a drink. It was like a challenge for them. No, I, I, yeah, I understand how that goes. But what I was going to say is, because I had experience with my friend like that, if you, know, if you and I had, if they, if they had served drinks at the Stephen Ministry conference that we went to and that kind of stuff, and you didn't drink, I'd, I, my attitude would be fine, more beer for me, I guess. <laughs> You're confident in that. <laughs> yielding back to, because we can go all the way left in these podcasts. We have our conversations, but yielding back to those those social situations, you got to think about, Sometimes you have to take a, a deep breath and you have to st stand back and look at your relationships and say, is this the best relationship for me? For example, if it is that you're in a friendship where it is that the friend only shows up whenever it is that they need something, they're never there for you whenever you need them. 
And even if you've been in this relationship for a long, long time, because there's some of these friendships that are 10, 20, 30 years old, and it's always been like that. At some point, you have to say, is this relationship draining me or is this relationship empowering me? And if it's not empowering you, then it's definitely draining you, even if you don't want to be able to admit it. And then you have to make the hard, the tough decision of, do I want to be able to exit or limit my exposure to this relationship? Right. And because of the, the way that you define the group at the top of the broadcast with coworkers and relatives, relatives hard to shake. And often they're the most toxic because they can carry baggage around and you kind of have to deal with it because they're related to you. They're related to your spouse. I can think of examples, not mine personally, where you have uh, a niece or a stepdaughter or, or something like that. And it's always drama. It's always, oh, I got into this situation or this situation happened to me. I am a victim. And oh, I need kind of like, you know, every time I talk to you, you're just sucking energy out of me because <laughs> you want you want to take my strong, good will, peace, whatever, and prop yourself up but there's no reciprocity. You know, when I'm down, I never hear from you. It's kind of like, it's, it's a one-way street. And after, after about two or three of those adventures, you kind of say, I will be nice to you. I'll discuss the weather with you. I might even discuss, uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves or the National League uh, standings. But aside from that, I'm not talking about anything that gets anything being heavy because, you know, it's kind of like when I say, how's your weekend? I really didn't want to know. I was just being polite. By... <laughs> the other I challenge mean... is that in family environments, a lot of times because of their position in the family, uh, these people feel like they're entitled to be able to not have to have a filter whenever it is that they tell you their opinion. For example, a mom who it is that's very judgmental over their kids feels like because it is that they're the mom, because it is that they raised you and they'll even remind you, I raised you, I had you, and it was tough and all this different stuff, that that gives them the ability to be able to say whatever it is that they want to you without filter, which you maybe take whenever it is that you're younger, but you have a choice at some point to be able to either A, have the conversation with them about what is not appropriate in the relationship or what is that, how it makes you feel, or B, just again, limit your exposure to them so that way you can shield yourself from the long-term damage that kind of stuff does. Right. This one author was using his mother-in-law or a fictitious mother-in-law, I forget which, as an example. And he said, you know, she always found criticism of things and that was her way of being toxic. And just kind of like always picking at, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. Oh, you do this wrong. You got this failure, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he said, think about it. It's one thing if she tells me I'm putting on weight. If she tells my wife, her daughter, <laughs> she's putting on weight and I know it hurts my wife. What am I supposed to do? I could, t the other, I could just let go in one ear and out the other. It's kind of like, that's the way you always are, so I'm not paying attention to you. But now I got to deal with the hurt that you did to somebody I spent a lot of time with and I love very much. What am I going to do about this? So before we go into how to deal with these different people, then you also have the coworkers, um, which is the category of people that you cannot get away from most of the time. Like, let's say it is that you're in a cubicle environment and the person who's in the cubicle next to you or around you or one of your coworkers that you have to work with is one of those toxic people. Now you're having to deal with how do I deal with these people on a daily basis, especially in close quarters? Or maybe it's even a boss, somebody who has power over you, which happens a lot. And these people are extremely toxic to you. Now you have to feel out how it is that you can shield your energy and shield your uh, joy from these people and not allow them to be able to take it from you. 
And, and that kind of, a lot of that is depending upon the emotional makeup of, of each one of those things, the coworker and the boss. Because I can think of a current example of this uh, class I'm taking on Mondays yesterday. It was pouring rain here and this one guy in our class gets an Uber ride back from school to wherever it is he lives. But to get the Uber ride, he had to walk about a quarter of a mile from the, the building where the classroom is being held to the outside of the complex because nobody else is let in except for students. And so he'd be standing there in the rain. I offered to let him sit in my car until Uber showed up, which we did. And so he's kind of, he's kind of an odd fellow and people kind of shun him. And we just engaged in conversation <laughs> for a guy who talked to a lot of people. It was tough to get him to talk. All right. So one of, that's one of my things of showing friendliness, but also keeping him a little off, keeping people off balance by doing things that you don't expect to that are genuinely nice like making that offer. I could have just said, oh, that guy's gonna get drenched. He had an umbrella, but he was still gonna get wet because it was pouring down. And then the flip side, I've got this other person I've, I've told you about who's an instructor in the other class who is a real dilettante. You know, my way or the highway, this kind of stuff. Can't make headway in being friends. She does not make friends. She doesn't want friends. So she won't respond to any of the mild overtures that you do. She'll be very perfunctory. She'll be very formal. That kind of stuff you can't reach behind her defense mechanism. So at that at that point, what I have been doing so far is just to not push it, lower my expectations, gut out the rest of the semester, and and go. But if I had that person for a boss for the rest of my foreseeable future, it's kind of like, how soon can I transfer out of here? <laughs> Which brings up a good point. So depending on the personality type of the person who it is that is the toxic person and the personality type of the person who it is that is on the other side of the relationship is how it is you deal with this. So if you have extroverted, aggressive, Ruby personalities, as I like to call it, you know, <laughs> you have all the different names for the people who it is that are a little bit more uh, outgoing or, you know, for straightforward, like you and me, TW, it's easier for us to be able to deal with these type of people because we'll directly tell them how it is that we feel or that we're uncomfortable with the situation, or we'll just find a way to be able to exit the situation. It's just simple for us. It's like, if this situation doesn't fit me, I need to find a way to either change the situation or exit the situation, right? And whether it's, if you're at work, I need to find a way to be able to transfer to a different department or to get them transferred to a different department or to be able to find a way to document what's going on so that way I can fix the situation. Not so easy for somebody who's an empathetic person or somebody who it is that is, uh, you know, very highly sensitive because it's harder for them, or pearl personality is the personality types that we use when we talk about the gem personalities. It's harder for them because they want to be able to heal the world, save the dolphins, and be friends with everybody, right? So it's harder for them to be able to take this stand because they don't want to offend or they don't want to be able to ruffle things or cause any feathers, and they tend to be more passive. A great book for this personality type on how it is to deal with energy vampires because these are the people that tend to take advantage, be taken advantage of the most. It's called Dodging Energy Vampires, an impassive guide to evading relationships that will drain you and restoring your health and power. It's by Christine Northrup is the author, and it's a great book. I know a lot of introverted people have used to be able to figure out how it is to be able to avoid and deal with, if they have to, in situations like at work, these toxic uh, relationships that drain their energy. So good stuff, good, good right. resource. One, one of the uh, other types of toxic people that we haven't mentioned up to now are bullies. 
Yes. And, and, and we find them and it's kind of like, particularly if your boss is a bully, then what is it you're going to do? In this example, I was telling about the person I just have to kind of endure with. I had a change of strategy after talking with another instructor, you know, basically how's your class going? And I knew him well enough to tell, he said, I can tell you what the problem is. He said, you are a threat because you're older, because you've got experience. He said, shoot, you've worked many more years than she has, you know, in her career. So you're not dazzled by all this stuff. So she sees you as a, uh, as a threat. So I said, okay, so I'll, I'll go neutral. I'll be a good student. I won't cause any ways. I'll just set it out till it's over. I've been in those situations before where I purposely held back on what it is that I know or purposely held back on my experience because I have more experience than the person teaching or the more experience than the person leading. And that happens more than not when they find out what your background is, who you are, what you've done in the past, that intimidation factor could cause them to become an energy vampire from the, as a leader, right? Because now all of a sudden, anything that you say, they have to defend it or they have to defend themselves and they get very defensive in that aspect. So I 100% understand where it is that you're, you're coming from being in that situation. So one of the things that uh, I enjoyed doing as uh, thinking about this and, and prepping that was to go through Bible verses that I had read and then do a little more research and say, what does scripture say about this kind of situation? As a matter of fact, you know, I looked at um, on this subscription I have to the Bible verses on your electronic stuff. I look for how to deal with toxic people as a devotional or, you know, that kind of stuff. Nothing. I was kind of surprised Mm. by that. Mm. But uh, when I, when I search for uh, dealing with toxic people as scripture passages, they came up with several. And here's one I like from Proverbs. It's from Proverbs 14, six and seven. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. But knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. So what that is saying is, you know, if there is a toxic person who's only taking from you, you're not learning anything from them. You're just basically propping them up. Now, to being a good Christian, you want to offer some substance, you know, emotional substance to them to help them, but up to a point. But you have to realize I'm not going to get anything from this and neither do I want to because any of the things they would be giving me by my standard, by my set of values and how I choose to live my life as a Christian would not be worth it. You also have to realize that if they're narcissistic in any way, shape or form, they have to find people to be able to drain from or to be able to buy into their story or to be able to take advantage of as part of their personality type. So every time this person rotates and comes back in your life, the chances are that They've drained all that they can out of you for that moment in time. They've gone on to the next person, which is why they call them energy vampires, because they're constantly going to the next victim to be able to drain energy from. And once it is that you've revived yourself and pumped back up, oh, you're ready again. And they're coming right back in to be able to do it again. You see this a lot with uh, abusive behaviors, like abusive relationships, where it is that, you know, the, the person finally gets the nerve to be able to kick them out. The person goes away, does their thing for a little bit, but then they come back home, quote unquote home, looking for uh, a way to be able to get back in because they have to have that person who it is that they know will will always accept them back. But at the same time, there are some people who are, let's say, uh, toxic people in training. 
-hmm. that don't realize that they are that way. And if left unchecked, they will roll up into being a, a full-fledged fire-breathing toxic person. In this example, I can, I can cite, I referenced it when we were uh, off mic. When I was in field training for ROTC uh, in the service in the Air Force, there was this one kid, he was, uh, he was the youngest of the people that I think that was in our, what we called a flight, a platoon. And he knew everything. He knew everything about everything. And he was willing to sit and pontificate about absolutely everything to the point where you're going, A, do you ever shut up? And B, half the stuff you're saying is not true. And we know from our experience, it's not true. So why don't you just kind of like go find somebody who might listen to you type of thing. And he was going on and on one day. And I could tell that, you know, different people were practicing avoidance on him. So he came over to where I was uh, talking with another guy and he, he launched into that. And I just turned to him and, and said, I said, Phil, do you realize that there are 75 people in this flight and only one of them, and right now that's me, is willing to talk to you because you're so difficult to deal with to be around. I said, Jim and Nies, look at this. You've got people, you know, that's why we're here. We talk about diversity. We had all kinds of diverse backgrounds. And some of these guys had been in service, gotten to college on the GI Bill, had come back so they could be commissioned and then serve in a career in, in the service. I said, they've got a lot of experience, which you don't have. You're a, you're a rising junior in college, for goodness sakes. And he looked crestfallen and, and left. And I thought, oh, great. Now I've heard his feelings. And I thought, oh, I wonder what, how this is going to come. Well, one of the things that they had in our program was that they reviewed our performance every three weeks because we were on our way to becoming commissioned officers. So when it was my day in the box and the colonel you know, was interviewing me, he said, I understand you had a run in with Phil. I thought, oh, no. What did that little son of a gun say about this? Because, you know, I don't need this kind of heartache just because I was being straightforward with him. And the colonel said, Phil said that no one in his life had ever talked to him straight like that. And he didn't realize how he was coming off. And it made him think there was a lot of things he had to consider and about going forward, because if he wanted to be a leader of men, he had to get over that. He said, so good going, you know, future Lieutenant Lawrence. And I said, oh, good. I dodged a bullet. <laughs> but, you know, by my being honest with him and trying to help him out and just saying, come on, man, you can do better than this. And because right now you just, everybody just wants to step away from you because you're just, yeah. And again, with personality types like yours and mine, that's not hard to be able to do. If I see somebody who it is that's being ultimately toxic, and I haven't always been like that. Now I think about it. I, I would have been the passive person back in high school or whatever else that would allow the relationship to go on and just remove myself from the situation, but never address them directly. So I've always been the type of person where it is that I either remove myself from the situation or confront the situation. But it had to be in my later years, probably after college, where it is that I was actually the person that would actually confront that person and let them know that there's an issue with how it is that they're acting. I was, I was more passive before that. And I think that came from pledging of fraternity. <laughs> Help me with that, that whole process of, of doing it. But, um, but yeah, so I understand what it is that you're saying about confronting them. But again, if you have the introverted, empathetic person, they're not going to be able to do that. So you just have to figure out how it is that 
here's what it is that I use to be able to judge a, so whether a relationship is toxic or whether a relationship is helping me. If I, if I take 10 situations that I've had with this person that have either made me happy or made me sad, A, if there's more sad situations or upset situations or we fight more than it is that we're happy together, then that's a toxic relationship. I don't care what it is that you want to be able to spin on it. I mean, that's one relationship that's really, really toxic. But on the flip side, if it is that you have a whole bunch of happy memories with this person, but in those situations, you were always the one that was giving and never receiving. In other words, the relationship is not reciprocated in the fact that you get as much out of the relationship as it is that you're putting in. Another sign that it might be a toxic relationship. And then you have one or two choices. You can either figure out if that will ever change or if it is that, you know, that serves you in some way a benefit. Because remember, I went to a, a TWO, remember, I went at the beginning of this year and the end of last year, I went to a mindset training. And the guy who was teaching the training, who has several psychology degrees, said that victims, people who are playing the victim roles, are often the ones that are actually the, what do we say, the antagonists, right? The ones that are actually the, the people that are allowing the bullies to be able to take advantage of them. So it's a two-way relationship. There's the bully that's actually taking advantage of the relationship. And then there's a person that's allowing the bully to take a part of the relationship, allowing them back in and everything else like that. So you have to figure out in this role, are you the person that's allowing them to be able to do this? You've trained them how it is to be able to treat you. So is this part of the whole situation and you actually get some kind of uh, enjoyment or some kind of benefit out of being in that relationship? And is it worth leaving it because it's not really serving you? Well, I think to varying degrees, you can take uh, the approach of... <laughs> this is my first day in prison in the yard. I'm going to find the meanest guy and I'm going to try to beat the stuffing out of him so everybody knows not to mess with me kind of thing. At which time you probably get the stuffing beat out of you because he's got like two or three hoods that hang around with him and they're not going to let you do that. But I think in our social situations, in a very, if you can, you can do this in a Christian way, it is the setting of boundaries to which you say, you let them know if you operate up to this, you know, for very limited periods of time, I'll deal with your stuff, your baggage. You cross this line, I'm going to put a halt to it and walk away. Should you pursue, <laughs> I will escalate. Uh, I'll, I'll, I don't mean physically, but you just say, I'll, I'll say some words and the worship will become increasingly more direct until you understand, look, I like you as a person. I don't like you this way. If you're not this way, we can get along. If you are this way, mm -mm, ain't going to work. Yeah, but again, you're the type of person that, that can deal with that conflict. There's people that will, all, with all their life, avoid conflict. I mean, even in a positive way, they'll avoid any kind of conflict. So with those type of people, it's going to be hard for them to be able to be that direct with somebody. And that's why I recommended that book for those type of people. So kind of wrapping it all up, we talked about the the type of toxic people that you have in your life, the people who it is that you choose to be in your life, um, which is your friends, your social circles. One thing that we didn't talk about that I want to touch on real quick before we wrap this up is, is like whenever you're in social circles, like groups, for example, group at church or a club or organization that you're a part of, where you actually have people who it is that you enjoy being around or you enjoy that club itself, but there's toxic people inside those circles or social circles that you feel like it is that you can't enjoy. One hand, you could leave the club, you could leave the group, you could stop hanging out with these people, but because you enjoy a majority of the people that are in there, you find yourself in the situation where you just have to deal with that one toxic person because they're in an environment that you do not want to be able to leave. 
no, I understand. You, you just have to, there are trade-offs to everything. There's good with bad. You just have to say, it's not going to be 100% in my favor. Never was. That's not the way the world is created, particularly after the fall. I just have to take the good with the bad. And as long as I get net enjoyment or satisfaction out of this situation, I can live with it. When it tips over to where it's net negative, look for something else. Not only that, you have to be able to, to see if it is that the whole entire group thinks that this person is toxic and is just dealing with them. It may be one of those type of intervention things where it is that you can get with the group and then you have an intervention with this person to say, hey, you know, we enjoy whenever you're acting a certain way, we enjoy you being a part of the circle. When you act a different way, we don't enjoy it. So if you continue acting a way that's destructive to the whole entire group, uh, we're just going to choose not to associate with you as a group, as a whole, you know, if that person is being toxic, if it is that the other people have enabled them, then you have to decide, is this so toxic that it's affecting other areas of my life where it is that I need to be able to leave this group or find another group that is, that's not draining me in that area. So again, this is a lot of decisions, a lot of things to be able to be made. We just wanted to, to draw awareness that if you're going through any of these situations, you're not alone, first of all. <laughs> these are things that just happen in life. But more importantly, give you some resources. TW gave some great scripture references. You know, I, I talked about the book that'll be able to help too. But just go out there and try and find ways to be able to overcome and not let people steal your joy. Not let people be able to steal your energy. You deserve to be able to live a happy, enjoyable life. And there's nobody in this earth whether it is that they are in relationships with you, whether they're family or whatever else that has the power to be able to take from you if you don't allow them. So you just have to decide, I'm going to choose to be happy no matter what. And I'm not going to allow anybody to be able to steal my joy, in my opinion. Yes. You need to always be polite, but be firm. And most importantly, be consistent. That's it. So with that being said, I think that's a good place to be able to end this episode. So my name is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. The Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. The Cowboy. Let's drop that outro music. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time for The Techie and The Cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. Let us know what y'all think.